Well, thank you, Stephen. I don't really consider myself very often as a dangerous man, though I have done dangerous things, I guess. Uh, I did break my thumb. That's about it. Everybody wants to know that. You know, you rode bulls. How many broken bones do you have? Well, I took a few naps. And if you're familiar with people when they get knocked knocked out, the T-Rex, you know, so I've done a few of those. And, um, and I also broke my little thumb. If you want to come and look at it, it's a little flatter than the other one. But that's it. Uh, but this morning, much more seriously, uh, I get the privilege to open up the Word of God with you all. And uh, my thought was, I, at first, I was going to do an overview of John Calvin's life. And I thought, yeah, that'll be easy. <clears throat> <laughs> then, I, then I realized that men have gone before me and they've done that in about an hour and a half. And I had 30 minutes and I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. So what I decided is to preach out of a text and then I almost exclusively used John Calvin in my commentaries. And the reason I did that is I hope that we catch a flavor, as we think of Reformation, of John Calvin just a little bit from his writings. And so that was my purpose. And so uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to be in verse 5 this morning. And it says this, verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I ask the question, why does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount this way? And I would argue that Jesus is identifying believers if you're in Greek, you would recognize this word, the indicative mood. Jesus is not saying you have to be poor in spirit for theirs, for, so that you can earn the kingdom of heaven. But instead, he is more stating and identifying who they are who are in the kingdom. So you look at it and you say, well, those who are in the kingdom, well, they mourn and they're meek and they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. This isn't in the imperative mood. And so as we continue, as we look at that, look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. It's just a statement. You are the light of the world. It's just a statement. But then we get into the imperative. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that, you, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the first part we see is, 
we are, he's describing what believers are like. For what purpose? So that they may shine, so that others may see you and bring glory to the Father. And I love this because this is what Piper writes about John Calvin. The fundamental issue for Calvin beginning to the end, centrality and supremacy and majesty of the glory of God, end quote. And so I think what is so beautiful is that God's Spirit changes us so that we can live the Beatitudes so that others may see us as believers who have the Spirit has changed so that they see us and then they glorify Him. Amen? Amen. So that, that is the point. And so that's just a, this is an introduction to think about when I get into verse 5, when we look at it, when you look at it with me, blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's just a description of the believer. But for the purpose, remember, it's for the purpose so that others may see you and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So I've got to define this word gentle in the Nasby or meek in most other translations. I don't think we have anybody with the Holman. It would say the gentle or the Christian standard Bible, the new one, the humble. But this word in the Greek is praes. And with some looking at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew words that are translated into Greek as praes carry two main ideas. And they are dependence and submission. So I found a couple definitions of meek for us this morning. Meek are those who like the poor in spirit, live in complete dependence on God and total submission to Him. Another one, another definition. A meek person, one who feels that he is a servant in relationship to God and who subjects himself to Him quietly and without resistance. I'm going to say that one again. A meek person is one who feels that he is a servant in relationship to God, who subjects himself to him quietly and without resistance. Another commentator said in the Beatitude of Matthew 5, 5, we read of Praes, who on the basis of their, talking of the Jews, oppressed situation, acknowledge not their own will, but the great and gracious will of God. So here is the point. Since followers of Jesus are meek, it's just been stated in the Beatitudes, we must live our lives depending and submitting to God. And here are my five points. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must, one, not fret. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must trust the Lord. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must delight in the Lord. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must commit our way to the Lord. And finally, since followers of Jesus are meek, we must rest in the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, I will be just looking at verses 1 through 11. Do not fret because of evildoers, 
Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble or the meek or the praos, the praos will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So I believe that looking at verse 11, Jesus is almost saying word for word verse 11. So it forces me to come to Psalm, 33, Psalm 37 and dig into it. And what does it say? And look at verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. Back to my first point. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must not fret. Notice fret, that word, it worry or annoyance or anger. So the psalm starts off, do not be envious, do not fret, do not worry over wrongdoers. And I think that's so interesting because yet that's exactly what I do. Because we look out at the world and who seems to be succeeding. The colleges by and large are ran by those who hate God. Who are pumping in our, the next generations with things that are opposite of God. We think of sports, sports athletes and we think of countries and leadership and everything. And it seems like the ungodly, the evildoers, they are excelling. It seems like they're winning. But look at verse 2. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. They will not endure. They will not last. John Calvin here. Now all this depends, which the mindset, all this depends on the providence of God. For unless we are persuaded that the world is governed by Him in righteousness and truth, our minds will soon stagger and at length entirely fail us. In other words, he's saying, we need to be persuaded that he's the one that rules. He's the one who's on the throne. And we have to be careful not to forget that no matter what we're seeing in the world, no matter every news that you pop up, it seems like evildoers are prospering everywhere. We must not fret. Brothers and sisters, have you forgotten who rules and who reigns? Have you forgotten the King of glory 
who says they will not last. My next point. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must trust Yahweh. Look at verse 3. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So, in contrast to fret and envy, we must trust. John Calvin again. It is not without good reason that he begins with the doctrine of faith or trust in God. For there is nothing more difficult for men than to preserve their minds in the state of peace and tranquility, undisturbed by any disquieting fears while they are in this world, which is subject to so many changes. You see that? He says it's difficult for us to be reminded of this and to trust the, and to trust the Lord. But he continues on. But as there is nothing better or more desirable than to enjoy the fostering and protecting care of God, he exhorts them to put their trust in him and at the same time to follow after goodness and truth. There is nothing better, he even says, or more desirable than to enjoy, than to the protecting care of God and to trust Him. And to continue, as verse says, and do good. To trust and to continue to do good. On the other hand, while they see the wicked becoming rich by unjust means, extending their influence and acquiring power, by unrestrained indulgence in sin. That's interesting. That's Calvin's day. It sounds exactly like ours. It is no less difficult for them to steadily to preserve in a life of piety and virtue for the man who places his whole confidence in God and gives himself up to be governed by him who will live uprightly and incessantly and will devote himself to doing good, end quote. I just love that. We are to continue, we are to trust in God and continue to do good no matter what we're seeing in our world today. Then verse 3 continues. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness or feed on His faithfulness. It is as just as if He's led them to the place and put them in possession of it. He declares that they should long enjoy it. In other words, God is saying, I have all things under control. And you dwell. I have you. That last phrase, feed on His faithfulness, brings about security. Trust Him. Do good. He's got it. You continue. We are to dwell in safety under the mighty protection of God Almighty, feeding on His faithfulness. It is God who we are trusting. Again, the meek person is dependent and submitted to God. I love how some people have described faith where you, there's a chair and you put your full weight on it. Trust God. Third point, since followers of Jesus are meek, we must delight in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
So don't delight in what the world has, what they offer, what they're doing. No, delight yourself in Him. We must therefore constantly recall to our minds this truth, that it can never be well with us except insofar as God is gracious to us, so that the joy we derive from His paternal favor toward us may surpass all the pleasures of the world. Let me read that again. We must therefore constantly recall to our minds this truth, that it can never be well with us except insofar as God is gracious to us, so that the joy we derive from His paternal favor toward us may surpass all the pleasures of the world. That's Calvin. I love that. Delighting in God. Now, the second part of this verse continues. And He will give you the desires of your heart. This does not imply that the godly immediately obtain whatever their fancy. In fact, that would not be their profit. But as you delight in God, He will give this is totally Piper, more of himself to you. The things that please him will be your joy. The most precious thing in the world will be him and what he's doing and, and what is going on that he wants. So again, this connects us back to meekness, that we completely submit to God. We completely depend on God. We delight ourselves in him. Fourth point. Since followers of Jesus are meek, we must commit our way to Yahweh. Verse 5, commit your way to Yahweh. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. The man, therefore, who leaving the issue of all, his, all of his affairs to the will of God and who patiently waiting to receive from his hand whatever may please to send, whether prosperity or adversity, casts all his cares and every other burden which he bears into his bosom, or in other words, commits to him all his, his affairs. Such a person rolls his ways upon Yahweh. I love that. We need to commit our way to the Lord. And it also says in the same verse, trust also in Him. Commit total dependence, submission to God's will and what He wants. And we trust Him. We trust Him. It's all about God. It's all about what He's doing. And I love what Calvin says, whether it's adversity or prosperity, I'm submitted and I'm trusting and I know that He loves me and He cares and so I commit everything, my plans, my future. Some of you as college students, you have no idea what you're going to do. So the encouragement is trust Him. Commit. Lord, I think this is what I want to do. So commit it to the Lord and trust Him and see what He does. And let Him close doors and open doors for His glory. But you commit. Verse 6, and he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. 
He will bring it forth. Remember, this is in the context of the wicked prospering. They will not endure. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. It's coming. It won't be hidden forever. So I have to ask you, are you committing? Or are you heavy laden with what if? And, and I thought, what would it look like if someone is not committing everything to the Lord? And I would say that you're running around in fear because none of us really know what's going to happen next. We're all in the same boat with that. But there is a big difference between committing everything to the Lord and trusting Him and running frantic and trying to figure out what you're going to do next. So commit it and trust. Fifth and final point, since followers of Jesus are meek, we must rest in Yahweh. Look at verse 7 through 11. Rest in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. That verb rest means to be silent or be still. It describes a calm surrender to Yahweh, a quiet of mind which rests on God, renounces all self-help and submits to the will of God. We are to wait for Yahweh. We are to be dependent on Him. Later it continues, it says, Do not fret, again, just like verse 1, because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Again, connecting it to verse 3, to trust and do good, forsake evil. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait, those who are silent, those who are still, those who calmly surrender to Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for him. And he will not be there. I have great delight, not only of wicked men, but of sin in general. Who are just, Sin is destroying lives of so many people. My own life and the life of people that I love so much. And certainly this is just the wicked man you look carefully. But we all know that when Christ returns and reigns, it will be done away with completely. Believer, remember this. Trust God. Be meek, dependence and submission. Love Him and remember that your life is going somewhere. That we will be with Christ one day. Here in the psalm, certainly the land is talking about Israel and in the land that is promised. But in the future, Jesus will have reign of all of it. Everywhere. 
Your life is going somewhere. Continue to do good. Continue to depend. So in conclusion, followers of Jesus are meek. They live in dependence and submission to God. So we must not fret. We must trust the Lord. We must delight. We must commit our ways. We must rest. But for now, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16, chapter 5, let your light so shine. Put this into practice so that when adversity and when prosperity comes, we're still submitting, we're still trusting in Him. And people look at us and they go, whoa. And then they go, God is real and He's doing stuff in people's lives. We are to do that. We are to bring about the praise of God and how we are meek. Do these characterize your life? Have you surrendered your will to God and you're totally willing to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm doing it. And that includes when you're reading Scripture. Where you read it and you go, well, I don't really want to do that. No, are you, are you submitting to Him? Please don't leave here without getting this right. Don't, don't leave here without submitting and saying, yes, I want to do this. God, make me this way so that when I'm reading Scripture and when I have an opportunity to be obedient in whatever it is, that I'm willing to do it because, God, I'm Yours. I am in submission and I am in dependence. And you walk by faith in what He says. I love this because at the end of all these sermons, if we're trusting in Him, I always have to ask, do you know Him in the first place? Do you love Him? Are you increasingly trusting Him? Are you, for maybe for the first time, you see that He's so good and you think about it and all the schooling that we've had so far and all the classes that there's meaning to it. That it's all about Him. And so I would plead, I would invite, I would say, come to Him. Even if there's guilt, even if there's remorse, you know, I haven't been doing this. Come to Him and confess it to Him. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to bow your heads and talk to the Lord about some of these things if He's been pushing on you, drawing you to repentance, and I will close in a couple minutes. Father, thank you that your word speaks so directly to our day and age where it seems as if evildoers are prospering, where they're winning. And yet your word reminds us that they will not endure. But it's those who trust you. God, I pray that you would make us a people who 
trust more and delight more and commit all of our ways and that we rest and we wait patiently that God, that this would impact every area of our life. That we would be consumed with what Piper says of Calvin. That we would share the same heart. That from beginning to the end of our lives, the centrality and the supremacy and the majesty of your glory would be our heartbeat. God, help us. And also, God, grant us strength to discipline ourselves for this purpose and for your glory. God, would you bless the last couple weeks of our classes that it would be extremely uh, beneficial to our souls, that our hearts would be humbled before you. And I thank you for our teachers and our staff that care for us so much. Continue to bless us as we seek your face. We pray through Jesus. Amen.